and welcome to We Came From The 80s, the podcast where we talk about movies we thought were cool. I'm your host, Farron, and I instruct you to obey. And I'm joined by Adam. Hello, Farron. Unfortunately, I'm here to chew bubblegum and record a podcast, and I'm all out of bubblegum. That's good, because that would be annoying to listen to. <laughs> so, yeah, no, it's just you, me, and a can of V8. No, not really. Oh, boy. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> no, yeah, <laughs> sorry, you need a second there? No, uh, we're good, keep keep going Keep going, okay So today we're doing the movie They Live Which premiered on the 4th of November 1988 It was directed by John Carpenter He also wrote it And he based it on a short story by Ray Nelson Called 8 O'Clock in the Morning Did you get a chance to read it? I did not I, okay. uh, I just had not had the time in the last nice. week I'm sorry Totally fine, It's it's all of six pages It's it reads like an outline for this. Okay. It starts the same. I mean, it's not quite the same. It's essentially he goes, but it's about a guy named John Nada, meaning nothing, because that's the character's name here, even though you never hear it mentioned. Mm. He's a nobody. And he goes to a, one of these um, hypnotist presentations yeah. and he wakes up. Okay. Uh, and it kind of ends the same way with him shooting up a, uh, a TV station and yelling to the world, they're here, they're here. He right. dies, but the war starts. And it's ah, kind of like, okay. essentially he took it and he he made a, a much better story out of it. It's called Eight O'Clock in the Morning by Ray Nelson. It's worth looking up if you haven't read it. You can find it online. It stars <laughs> Roddy Piper, as in Rowdy Roddy Piper, the mm -hmm, WWF yeah. wrestler. Uh, Keith David, who we've seen before, actually in another John Carpenter movie that you and I did. He's the black guy. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's okay. Keith David. He's an excellent actor. He was actually in a great movie called Pitch Black, where he okay. played a uh, Muslim imam. Very, very good. Oh, cool. And yeah, and he's a, he's a good actor. I mean, he's a, he's a character actor, but, you know, that's mm. fine. Um, yeah. And Meg Foster, uh, she okay. of the, yeah. the weird eyes. Yeah, she does have weird eyes. Yeah, she, uh, she is chosen for those eyes. It's funny, because I first saw her in uh, He-Man. The live action oh. one with Dolph Lundgren, okay. and she played Evil Lynn. Uh, I won't let I won't give away if she's a good character or a bad one. Um, <laughs> and I I always assumed those were um, contact lenses. No, those are her eyes. That's oh really? really? That's really what her eyes look like. It's very weird. Damn, that's wild. She's also a character actor. Yeah, so this movie was made on a budget. It's funny because it, the internet is unsure whether it was three or four million. John oh. Carpenter says it's four million, and I think we'll take his word for it. Yeah, that's fair. Yeah, and it made thirteen million, so not a ton of money. Okay, but you know wow. what? It made more than triple its money back, so that's not bad. Yeah, exactly, and it was rated R. I should mention. Um, oh, okay. the thing, yeah, the you know, like it. We discussed this with John Carpenter before. The guy is a B movie guy. Yeah. Right. Escape from New York and they live and even the mouth in the mouth of madness, which I know you enjoy. And I really mm -hmm. like it. Those are all B movies. Don't get me wrong. They're well yeah. made B movies. But, you know, the plots are always mediocre. The actors are always mediocre. The dialogue is always mediocre. And because he insists on doing his own music, the music is mediocre. Yep. But it's a good movie. I mean, it's not a glorious movie, but no. there's a reason this movie has sort of stuck in the zeitgeist for all these years. So what did you think of it? Uh, well, like it's, it's, it's well enough acted. The, the dialogue, like you said, isn't, isn't the best dialogue in the world, but it, it gets the points across. I just spent the entire time watching this movie, 
thinking about how many people still, you know, feel like something like this is is literally going on today yep. in our in our day to day. And uh it's it's very much conspiracy porn and martyrdom porn and and don't get me wrong, like, you know, porn can be enjoyable, but it's <laughs> it, that's just the the major tones that I just I couldn't couldn't really get out of my head for the whole thing. The funny thing is, is that he had not intended it that way. And it has become that way because of the political environment we live in in 2022. Mm -hmm. Remember, I had said at one point, because I know Ramey had suggested doing this, and I said, I don't want to do this film because the alt-right has lashed onto it. Okay. You know, with uh, the globalists, which is just, yeah. that's, a, that, that's a big, long word for the Jews. Sorry. You know, I'm a Jew. I grew up listening to this bullshit all my, all my life. But that's how they have looked at this movie. But he he said right at the in fact one of the first things Carpenter says in the uh, uh, in the director's commentary which I listened to last night is that well we introduce you right away here you are this is kind of an interesting film this was uh, made during the the Reagan years in the United States and I was uh, trying to say something about it in a science fiction movie and I was also trying to I don't know maybe elevate science fiction and, and invasion movies a little bit higher than they had been but. Uh, you played a man named John Nada. Nada is means uh, nothing. nothing. Let me help you with that. Nothing. nothing. Yes. He's nobody. He's Wor a... worm on the worm on the sidewalk when it's raining. That's really. It was never meant to be sort of, you know, it's a conspiracy of people trying to rule the universe. It's just, you know, it, it's hyperbole, right? Yeah. Don't get me wrong. I I appreciated the parts that were very very blatantly, like. Hey, there are people with more money than God. We should not let them run our entire lives. Like, yeah, I'm I'm 100 on board with that. You know, tax the billionaires, but yeah. um, it it just it it felt it felt underscored by by uh, modern politics and yep. their or modern social climates and and hearing that Carpenter didn't uh, intend this to be. Um, you know, as as conspiracy theory e as it feels today is is good to know. Yeah, he uh, he very much he he said outright in the, again in the um, in the director's commentary, which was recorded in just after just after the turn of the century, I think two thousand two, two thousand three, because Roddy okay. Piper has passed away. He passed away in uh, twenty fifteen. Mm -hmm. um, it was a shot at Reaganism, where oh, they okay. were stripping away the social safety net, deregulating, uh, lowering taxes for the rich. You know, that's what it was meant to reflect. And I remember watching it at the time with its, you know, its, its large homeless populations and, you know, people mm -hmm. feeling like not only are they not getting ahead, but they're falling behind. Even in junior high, like 1988, I was, it was my grade eight year. And uh, in the middle of a really awful recession, in fact, the worst financial setback since the Great Depression, nothing as bad as what happened in 2008 when you were a kid. Mm -hmm. But still pretty bad. And so this was very much like the homeless people that you see in this movie. They are they're real. He didn't hire actors. He actually hired yeah. the local home, the local homeless population and ensured they were very well paid for their for their few days work and that they were well fed in the whole nine yards, which is a very decent thing to do. Robin Williams used to insist on that in his movies, by the way. Oh, did he? That yeah, that that the, the workers, sort of the local, just people you were hauling, or you know, having haul things around and stuff like that. He insisted that X amount be uh, hired from the local uh, homeless population. It was actually in his contract. Oh, so cool. good for him for just being decent. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that was like it, this film really does hit differently than it would have in 1988 or even 15 years ago. 
it's a lot like there's a movie called The Siege with um, Denzel Washington about an FBI agent uh, investigating uh, suicide bombings in New York City. Okay. That movie hits very differently post 9-11. Yeah. You know, that's just, it's the nature of a very different world we live in. But, you know, Los Angeles had a huge homeless problem in the 80s. Most big cities did. And now, L.A. and San Francisco, they have enormous problems again. Like, just terrifying. I think this film stands up for different reasons. Again, I guess if you're some alt-right Nazi asshole, one, turn off this podcast right away. We don't want you listening. Yeah, fuck, fuck the Nazis. But, like, if you can sort of set that aside and just remember that that was not in anyone's head when this was made. Mm-hmm. This was a shot at capitalism. This movie really does land. It is over the top because it's a B movie. Right. I think there's been talk a few times of having it remade. Okay. And that's fine. I mean, I watched a movie. I can't even think of the name of it recently. It was a Netflix movie. It was actually pretty good about a, a guy who who's like an Uber driver for the night. And he winds up taking these two girls around. And it turns out they're vampires. And oh. that's sort of your standard, you know, the vampire secret society. We exist yeah. in the shadows. People protect us. The, you know, we are powerful. So the police protect us, that sort of thing. This is the same sort of thing. It's just it's it's, it's aliens and capitalism instead of vampires. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So. You know, I saw this when I was in junior high, and I got it then, too. I think maybe it would have landed differently if I had been a little older, or if this had come out, say, a few years later, after the recession had sort of picked itself up. Right. Because in 1993, we started the greatest length of economic boom since, like, the Second World War. Mm-hmm starting with, you know, and a lot of that was the policies of Tony Blair and, and Bill Clinton. Not that everything they did was great because it sure shit was not, but no, <laughs> like, um, like, like, yeah, the crime bill, don't get me started, but like things changed. And a, a lot of the economic disaster that followed, you know, the 1980s sort of worked itself out, at least in the short term. And this movie, like if, if you ever, what's the, what's the one I'm, I can't think of it. Grapes of Wrath, which was written during the Great Depression. Yeah, This is kind of that. Like, it's about people down on their luck in the middle of an economic downturn, though obviously The Grapes of Wrath was a drama. This is, you know, science fiction. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, the it's you can tell it's very low budget. You can tell this thing was made for four million bucks. Oh, uh, definitely. You know, like the uh, the scanners that the security guys were using. Did you recognize mm-hmm. that? No, I it's, didn't. It, it's uh, Egon's ectometer. Oh, from really? Ghost, from Ghostbusters. Yeah, that's oh, why geez. that's why you only ever see one because they only ever made one. That's funny. <laughs> yeah. You know, they used M16s. Why? Because, you know, that's what like you could see the guns they had. Like it was really just whatever they could grab out of the movie yeah. studios back lot. It was pretty hilarious. But um, the one thing they did really well was the aliens. I liked the makeup. Do you? Yeah. I mean, it's. Like it's you're meant to go, oh God, like they they look like cadavers, but hmm. you know, I thought it worked fine, and I love the way they used black and white when you put on the glasses i I thought that that felt like an interesting throwback to um you know, like alien science fiction movies of an of an earlier day in in black mm-hmm. and white, but I thought that the uh the the aliens makeup didn't really feel that alien to me. It just felt zombie more than anything else, yeah. Like, you're not sure whether you're looking at the undead or are they ghouls? Like, is this fantasy or science fiction? Um, Part of that, I think, is frankly just they only had so much money. Yeah. Like, in this day and age, 
they could do they they could go back and remaster this movie and do a ton of CG. Oh, certainly, you know? certainly, they could, um, they could make those guys look entirely different. Yeah, like I said, they're talking about remaking it, and I think it would be a lot more subtle because again, the pro it's not really a problem. It is what it is. It's a B movie. No, it's it, you know by its very nature. Yeah, and so it's going to be low budget. It's you know it's not going to be as great as could be i mean look it's john carpenter he is well regarded because he makes good b movies yeah you know but look that's how james cameron got his start yeah, the terminator was a b movie that turned out to be really well made and people went holy shit this guy knows how to make a movie so anyway let's sort of take a look through it see what we see and um you know just occurring to me i, I think i'm going to put like obey and reproduce like subtly oh, like, <laughs> i'm gonna you're, put you're those only gonna you're only gonna fuel the conspiracies now farron i'm totally doing this anyway let's oh. go through the, <laughs> let's go through this see what we see and uh see if we can obey so All it starts right. off yeah so it starts off with this character who will never be he'll never be identified by name yeah. but he shares the name with the character from the from the the uh, story which is john nada as in okay. nothing he's a nobody uh, and he's, you know, he's wearing, uh, you know, just jeans and he's got a hike, like he's got a backpack and a roll. It's pretty clear that he's, he's homeless. He goes to like an unemployment office and you can see like no one will help him. And the woman who, you know, is behind the desk looks at him like he's a scumbag. She's clearly got money. Like she's got nice jewelry and she's well-dressed and she's looking at him like she scraped him off her shoe. So I, I do uh, want to note, he is incredibly clean for a homeless man. The he only is quite dirt on him is on his jeans. Yeah, he's, uh, you know, he's, he's, you know, look, I mean, you can find a water fountain somewhere, but yeah, he's well shaven. And uh, by the way, this is his first movie, his first oh, real right. movie. Yeah, he's done like a couple dozen since then. He doesn't have a lot of range. Look, he's a WWF actor from Saskatoon. Yeah. Um, but it's interesting. He talked about how he understood what it was like to be this character because he had been homeless in his life. As a young oh, yeah. man, as a 12 year old, he had experienced homelessness. And, uh, you know, so seeing like, I guess he sort of he, he sort of felt this. And despite the fact that he has almost no range as an actor, you can see he understands like the way the character is very quiet. He's very respectful. But, you know, he's, he's sort of his head is down. He hasn't learned how to pick his head up. You know, he's got that beat down feel to him. And he really sells the part. I'm quite impressed. And we see him walking through the park. And there's a preacher who clearly is blind. It's your standard doomsday preacher standing on a soapbox, waving a Bible, you know, and, and he's sort of, you don't pay him much attention because you're not sure what's going on. And we see him, you know, watching TVs. This is a very cliched scene where he's sort of standing in front of the TV store and the, and, and the wall is nothing. It's like a wall of TVs. Yeah. Uh, don't that's see that all that often. <laughs> what's that? Don't see that all that often anymore. Not anymore, but in the, like in the, 60s 70s and 80s that was a very common thing and it's a common trope in movies yeah it's the way to show something on the television and show an audience or show uh, sorry show a group of everyday people reacting to it yeah you know uh, and then we see him watching a tv through an open window as he sleeps in you know in an alley and again i don't think he said more than a few words at this point we don't really know what's going on other than here's a guy who's down on his luck we see him at a construction site he's speaking to the foreman he says you know i got my own tools and uh this is something anyone in alberta knows right we, when you know things got very bad when they closed the fisheries in in newfoundland 
a lot of those people came west. Absolutely. You know, and 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 we had a boom, like a building boom in downtown in, yep. in the, starting in the in the early nineties. And you know, you they used to say, if you show up here with your own tools, you will have a job. There's a reason there are so many newfies in in Alberta. Oh yeah. It's because of these economic conditions. And he is given a job. And it's funny, uh, you know, we see him as he's working and he takes his shirt off. He's, of course he does. He's a wrestler. They want to show yeah. the big muscles. And and in the, in the director's commentary, Piper was saying that people were convinced that it was someone else's body and they had used computers to graft his face on. Oh, really? Which, which by the way, in 1988, you couldn't do. Nah. But, but they were convinced he never looked that good. But um, this was just after he had finished um, in the WWF. Uh, and in fact, being in this movie ruined him because uh, Vince McMahon didn't like the idea of his wrestlers being in movies without his permission. Oh, really? Uh, yeah. So he was like, did, were you a WWF? I guess it was WWE no. your time. Yeah. No, I, I I was around for WWF, Andy, and I just never really got into it, period. I knew I knew guys that were because like it was it was a drama and it was a, yeah. a soap opera for dudes. But it just. And that's happened. exactly what it was for me. The only reason I know. These, this guy is and who Hulk Hogan is and all these yeah. guys is when I went into grade four, I went to a public school and all the boys loved WWF. Okay. It was the height of its popularity. There were toys. There was a cartoon. <laughs> I didn't know they had a cartoon. There was a cartoon. This is before Hogan and the, the Iron Sheik or whatever his name was. Mm before he got busted for cocaine and got thrown out and started raw or whatever it was like, I couldn't stand this shit. It was like, I, I was a snob, but I knew who all these people were because my best friend was so into them. That's actually how I saw this movie. My best friend at the time, Michael dragged me to see it because he wanted to see Rowdy Roddy Piper on the screen. And he was um, a heel, the, yeah. a bad guy. Yeah. And he, you know, he ran around with a, like a, what do you call it? A kilt in the whole nine yards. Thank okay. God he didn't wear it properly because he was in the, the wrestling ring and there's a lot of jumping in there. But you no, know, here, you know, he, they're showing off his wrestler's body and he bumps into the Keith David character and they're walking along. Uh, they go to this area with this unfinished building in it, which turns out is actually in Los Angeles. It's just, it's a building that at some point either got torn down or whatever. And they set it up as a, you know, as a, like a homeless camp. Okay. And they're being fed there. And apparently it's all real. And the church across the street really is across the street. At least as recent as 2003, all of that is still there. Oh, cool. Of course, we're not talking 20 years ago, so who knows? Yeah, still. But yeah. And, you know, we, we, we start to meet people. We don't really know their characters in this movie. They just seem to be people who are part of the soup kitchen setup. And I like that. It's not, here, meet this person. He is a character you will interact with in the movie. I like that they just... You meet a whole bunch of people, and some of them are part of the cast, and some of them aren't. It reminds me of the opening scene from uh, Saving Private Ryan. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Where, you, where the camera focuses on all these people in the landing craft. Yep. And you have no idea which ones you're going to actually be following. Because 30 seconds later, half those dudes are dead. Right. And I like that. You're left guessing. It's, and, it's an organic introduction to characters. Yeah, and I, and I really appreciate that. And, it, and unfortunately, it's most often done in B-movies even though it's an excellent way to do it. Um, you know, and we get to see Nada and this black dude whose name I don't know. I don't think they ever give us his name. I don't think so, no. Um, that's kind of the point, that these people are nobodies. They don't mm. need names because they're the scum of the earth. They're the underclass. That's the point. I, I think I'm just going to call him Keith David because calling him the black dude just sounds bad. Yeah, it's uh, not great. Not a good look. Yeah. But uh, yeah, I, I'm not, I don't have a white hood. I promise. <laughs> um, 
And, you know, we sort of see them talking about how, you know, Keith David's character. No, this is bullshit. I got to get his name. I'm sorry. I can't keep calling him that. Uh, give me a second. That's all good. Frank. Frank. Okay. Frank. Okay. So, because we get the girl's name. Her name is Holly. So, yes. so, so it's John, Nada. so it's Nada and Frank. John and, anyway. So Nada, John and Frank. Frank and Holly. Yeah. Uh, so they're, you know, Frank and, and Nada are talking and. It's the same sort of thing. It's it's a story you would get from immigrants coming to the states now, which is I got a I got a wife and kid at home. I had to go looking for work. I send them everything I got, and that is terrifyingly real. Yeah. Um, it's it's almost I find this movie often quite depressing because I recognize the realism of it, not the mm -hmm. aliens, but just the conditions these guys find themselves in. And you know that night there someone's watching TV, and of course you think, well, how are these guys getting cable? But back in the day. TV was over the air. Rabbit ears. Rabbit ears, exactly. I don't even think you can get that now. I don't think there's no, you can. any. Is there, there's nothing online. There's nothing anymore, is there? Not even no, CNC. You, you can get basic cable without a cable subscription package by just plugging into a cable outlet with a box. Um, but but there's like, nothing. There's no rabbit ears. There's nothing over the air there's anymore. There's no rabbit ears, no. Right. And that's been a while. So, yeah, back in the day, it was over the air. So over the air. So they're watching the newscast and some crazy guy breaks in and says, you know, they're they're taking over and they're hiding and easy to apply nails, pre-colored in seven luscious hues. Just our impulses are being redirected. We are living in an artificially induced state of consciousness that resembles sleep. Oh, goddamn hacker, that second damn night that asshole's cut in. You know, it's, again, very conspiratorial. It's just some random dude in front of a white background. And the neat thing is, everyone gets a headache. And so, obviously, like, this is our first hint there's something going on. But we have no idea what. I will say I do appreciate that John Carpenter, we're now 12 minutes into this movie, and we have no idea what's going on. Yeah. Yeah, if you, if you come into this movie without kind of any prior knowledge about it you don't really have anything to go on here you're just watching a down on his luck dude try and exist for 12 and a half minutes yeah and then the, the tv things ha the tv thing happens you know I, I wonder i would be afraid to show this to a young person without a lot of context <laughs> context because so they're gonna go holy shit is it is it did the jews control everything is this the globalists no yeah. listen you know like that's i think why this movie is so easily taken out of context if you are culturally illiterate which is to say anyone in the alt-right you look at this and i can understand why you get this idea in your head that it's some mm. right-wing like secret movie like i said that's why for years i didn't want to do this on the podcast but i figured those yeah. guys have moved on to full-on insurrection the movie yeah. is, you know, the yeah. movie is, is, is well below their, uh, well below their, uh, their radar now, but, uh, you know, it's kind of neat. Roddy sort of looks you know, at 90 sort of looks around. He sees these people in the church. He's not really sure what's going on. There's something suspicious happening. He's not sure what the next day he goes and he checks out the church. It's interesting because, you know, they, he, you know, he hears a choir, but we, t we learn that it's a, uh, a recording. He goes in and they see this creepy thing on the painted on the walls. They live, we sleep. Yep. And of course, you have no idea what it is. You see all these boxes with. Uh, actually, no, he hasn't seen the box yet, has he? We don't. We he don't know. He has seen multiple boxes in the storeroom, but he doesn't. But we haven't seen. Them. That's right. And then we see the you know the, the the meeting of these conspirators, and it's interesting because we have no idea what any of these people are up to. And then he bumps into the preacher. Apparently, 
they didn't warn Roddy Piper what was going to happen in the scene, and it generally oh, really? scared the <laughs> shit out of him. Um, <laughs> those are the best scenes, though, right? Like, yeah. uh, uh, what's his name? Falling out of the window from Die Hard. Mm. And uh, what else? The the alien coming out of the chest. None of the actors were told what was going to happen when the chestburster scene happened. So when they freak out and scream, yeah, it, it's real. <laughs> it's 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 the it's the the actors screaming, not the characters. And and so anyway, Roddy sort of gets the hell out of there because he has no idea what these people are talking about. He certainly doesn't know what the uh, uh, the preacher is talking about. But he sees him moving these boxes out, you know, sort of running away. And again, we have no idea what's going on other than there's some sort of conspiracy. These people behave like it's a resistance, but we don't know to what. And then that night, the police show up to clear the camp out. And that's a hell of a scene. Yeah. And I wish I could say it's unrealistic because in 1988, when I looked at this, that's bullshit. The cops would never do it this way. But if you'll recall, I think it was last year or the year before, or maybe it was even a little, the last few years, Toronto police did this exact thing to a, a homeless town in Toronto. Yep. Happens, happens all the time in a lot of major cities. Uh, they're this brutal too. In, in like New they're York this, and, they're this violent. Oh yeah. oh yeah. No, they'll bring in bulldozers and just flatten things. Um, Skid Row in LA is probably like the, the most notorious example yeah. of that, where it's just constantly anything that you try and put up to keep yourself warm and dry gets knocked down. Yeah. The terrifying thing is, like I said, if you go, I mean, I'm sure you could find it on YouTube or Twitter or wherever. If you type in, you know, Toronto police clear camp or whatever, you'll find it. And it's, it is this bad and it is this violent. Like these cops are just wailing on these poor people who are just like homeless. Yeah. And he grabs sort of this teenage boy and they sort of make a run for it. They come across the preacher and one of the other conspiracists and they've sort of been backed into a, a corner and the cops are just wailing on them. They hide overnight you know, until, until sort of the place is cleared up and we see the next morning that it looks like a bomb went off in that, that homeless camp. Like there is nothing left, you know, you know, it's hard not to watch this sort of thing and be become politically radicalized. Let me tell you, I I get why this movie is a lightning rod for the left and the right, because it's so blunt, you know, and I, I get why people react to it. That's the nature of a B movie. There's no subtlety. So he goes in, he finds it you know, into this now abandoned church. He finds a box. He goes behind an alley. He finds Ray-Ban sunglasses. Hey, um, let's go. Yeah. Apparently the reason they chose those sunglasses is they had, they could buy them in bulk super cheap. That's really Fair all. Enough. That's really all it was. And they're just, they're just Ray-Ban sunglasses and he puts them on and everything goes black and white anytime. And, and actually I think that's a really great, visual cue it's it's the language of the film we know when he's got the glasses on without us having to see you know like have a a quick little scene of him putting on the glasses right because everything's black and white and he looks and he sees that all of the you know the billboards they have one big black word on it obey reproduce whatever the idea is you it's a visual representation of this of the underlying message that really is in all advertising you ever see what was that Brad Pitt movie everyone raves about where they think it's clever and it's not actually uh, Mr. and Mrs. Smith. No, that's a great film. I love that film. Uh, no, um, Fight Club. Oh, I, I, I enjoy Fight Club. I, I hate that film. But anyway, he he talks one of the, the Tyler Durden character talks about how they put like one frame out of 20 will be like a subliminal message. Yeah. And, and this is this is kind of that. Yeah, this is this is the the same idea. Everything's got its undertone, and the glasses just strip away the veneer, which is yeah, yeah neat. But 
I suppose you could. I don't. I don't know. It. It's. It's neat, but again, blunt. Yeah. Yeah. Large it's that. Again, it's. It's. Yeah. It's B movie. I mean, how else do you do that? Right. Like how else? I'm trying to think. How else in a movie? You know, in a in a one hour thirty minute low budget movie, would you communicate that there's this underlying subliminal message that's being pumped into people's brains by these these secret alien overlords? Like, how do you do that? And without a lot of CG to have it sort of you know like you know like lenticular paintings or lenticular stickers where you look at it from one angle, you look at it from another. It's two different two different images, and really it's just because up top there's this textured piece of plastic, so that when you're looking at it from the left angle, you get one vision, and you look at it from the right, you get another. If they, you know, what I'm talking about, right? Yeah, I know what you're talking about. Yeah, they're called lenticular drawing. They could do something like that in CG, but that's that would be a ten million dollar line item in your budget right to say nothing of a four million dollar film so this oh, was God, simple yeah you know these apparently were all matte paintings they okay. didn't even superimpose them they would just uh i guess what they did is they would take a picture and they would hand it off to this this painter and mm-hmm. they would say recreate this but in black and white and with this okay you know and he looks at you know the magazines and it's the same thing one word messages and that's easy you just make a magazine yeah. You know, you could do that with a freaking laser copier in five minutes. Yeah. Um, and part of it is just sort of like this part of the movie is just sort of John Nada walking around with these glasses on. And you know, like he goes by a, a magazine stand and it's all these different, you know, messages. And he he goes into a convenience store and he sees these women with these hideous faces. You know, these are you know, these aliens. They look like, like you say, like zombies. And then he because he's, you know, because he's not smart enough to keep his mouth shut. He starts. He's like, lady, you look fine. You know, you look like your head fell on the cheese dip back in 1957. Something died on your face. Yeah, something like that. It's it's exceptionally rude. Yeah, and I mean, all these people he's speaking to are very well healed. Like, she's wearing a big fur coat. These people have three-piece suits and lots of jewelry, and they all communicate through their watches. They're very expensive gold watches. And people start, you know, start whispering into their watches. You know, he sees us. I have someone who can see. And he sort of walks away and two cops bust him. And it's clear they're aliens. And he says, man, you're ugly. And the guys and the cop shockingly says, yeah, you look just as ugly to us. I think that was actually a uh, a lost opportunity. What are you talking about, sir? You're very ill. You should come with us. Like, it's not that. It's just, yeah, we're aliens and you're ugly, too. Yeah, yeah, but it, it does feel like the the shot is meant to, or the 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 line is meant to be, uh, yes, we're aliens, you're ugly too. But the shame is that it gets entirely, it seems like it's lost on John Nada as a character, because he goes impossible and like there, or there's no way or something like that. Yeah. Just like, like no, he's he's not getting the fact that they're aliens. It's just no, nope, there's there's no way that I'm as ugly as you are. And it just it seems like a whiffed moment on the character, not the actor, not the not the movie, yeah, but the, the character writing itself. Yeah, I agree. This is part of the problem with having like it's very clear. And we'll learn this later in that ridiculous fight scene that everyone loves. Oh, and I think God. It's, and I think it's bullshit. Um, it takes forever. Yeah, it's it's absurd. But it's very much we got a WWF actor. So let's have that level of dialogue Yeah. when. You know, and, and part of it is clearly this is not a man who's well educated. He's probably got like a high school education. If that, that's fine. There's nothing wrong with that. But and and this guy comes off as not someone who's especially well spoken. But 
there's no sense that he's even making the connection of what's going on here. It's just all these ugly people and he doesn't get it. Mm -hmm. And if this movie, I think, had been half an hour longer, that's where we would have gotten his journey into, holy shit, it's aliens, or, oh my God, this is, like, there's something, like, it's almost like he doesn't realize there is a conspiracy going on here. Like, it's just to him, what are all these weird things I'm seeing? I don't understand at all. I I, I think that there's a, a opportunity for this movie to, you know, pull a, pull a surface level about being about an, an alien insurrection and a shot at capitalism. Yeah. And also, you know, be about mental health crisis in, in yeah. the world. No, absolutely. Uh, is um, with with a very very few line changes this goes from a story about an uh, a rebellion freedom fighter to uh, a man who's off his meds. Yes, like it could be and you know, I would I'd actually like to see this made into like a 10-part limited run prestige series. Like, I, I don't want to see six seasons of the damn thing. Yeah. I'd like to see one 10-episode season of it. Yeah. You know, where maybe it follows a couple characters, someone who is low education, down on his luck, who doesn't understand what's going on, and maybe someone on the other end who is, you know, maybe someone like Holly, who, I mean, spoiler alert, she's one, she's a collaborator. Yeah. You know, it'd be interesting to see this from various points of view, but we don't have time here. Again, it's the nature of a B-movie. It's a baseball bat. Um, like, I often wonder if they remade In the Mouth of Madness as an A-movie instead of a B-movie, how much more subtle it would be. Yeah. But I love that movie so much, it's hard to care. Uh, <laughs> it's, we, would have, you know, we should just do it just because, screw it, it's a good movie. Yeah. And we, and we both like it so much, you and I should just do it. Right. Um, you know, maybe we'll do that next month just for fun. Yeah. But uh, yeah, so he, he he fights with these cops. He kills them both. He takes the shotgun. He wanders into the bank and he says, I think this is the this is the line everyone in this movie knows. Yeah. And it turns out it wasn't in the script. Oh, really? It was the wrestler's idea. I have come here to chew bubblegum and kick ass. And I'm all out of bubblegum. Of course it was. Of course awesome. it was. I love it. Um, and I've heard I've heard it used many times. I am here to chew bubble gum and kick ass, and I'm all out of bubble gum. Yeah. Uh, and like, if that isn't a WWF line, I don't know what is. Oh, absolutely. My God. You know. <laughs> but you know, it it works for this character. It does. You know, and, and that's fine. And he starts shooting up the bank. He shoots a couple people, and that's where we first get the impression this is honest to God sci-fi because the yeah. guy. Uh, uses his watch as a teleporter, essentially yep. a, an instantaneous Star Trek transporter. Yep. Um, he makes an escape. He, yeah, he, he goes, just boots it out of there and runs into Holly. Yeah, he in a in a parking garage, and and Holly, played by Meg Foster, who again she's got these weird ass eyes, and I wonder if they chose her because of those eyes, because you wonder is she one of us? Yeah. Like, is yeah, she an alien like with with like? who forgot her contacts that morning. Yeah, super, super light eyes. And that's probably the most stark differentiating thing from bet between the aliens and humans is their... Well, they have big bug eyes. eyes. Yeah, they big bug eyes. But she's like Meg Foster. If you, like listeners, if you don't know who Meg Foster is, you need to go onto Google right now and, 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 and Google her because she's got these weird, they're green apparently. Um, yeah, like a super, super, super light pale green. Yeah, but she looks like, like she could play an alien, 
in a movie and and not have to wear contacts like yeah she's got these otherworldly eyes which i think is probably a problem for her acting because she looks so weird like honest to god if she were going to do like a normal movie she might have to wear contacts yeah if she um, just wanted to be uh some average person because they have a good shot here uh where they they pull into holly's house where uh nada's made her drive yeah and she waves to her neighbors and it's a bit of a pulled out shot but you can see her looking from far away and from this far away distance it doesn't look like she's got anything but white in her eyes yeah you know what it reminds me of because i'm, I'm looking at a still image now of her sitting in the car um and the very the, the the second pilot for the original star trek series the remake pilot where no man has gone before yeah. Uh, involves them trying to get out of the the Great Barrier at the edge of the galaxy. And Gary yes. Mitchell, ha you know, remember how they show that they've turned? They have mm -hmm. silver eyes, right. which, by the way, in 1966, when they were 1965, <laughs> when they made that, were apparently really fucking painful uh, contact lenses. I believe um, that. Because that's when they first invented contact lenses. And so making custom painted ones was expensive and they were thick and wicked hard. That's why they don't blink. Yeah. Um, I look at her and I'm always reminded of that. And then I have to keep telling myself, no, no, these are her eyes. But they don't really use that. They use her as a character actor and she's a very good one. Um, she's very quiet. She's oddly calm. Why is she so calm that this guy with a shotgun has carjacked her and made her go back to her house? Like she's way calmer than she should be. Um, yeah, it, 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 I don't, I'm not sure if that's an oversight in uh, the writing or whether that's a specific choice with, with her character. It, yeah. it doesn't really make sense to me that it would be a specific choice with her character, but it, it also seems like they should, unless it's just trying to work the angle of, no, we have our strong independent woman who uh, can just take a breath and, and handle the fact that she's being carjacked right now. Yeah, uh, now of course it makes sense at the end, when we realize she's a collaborator, she's oh. never been afraid. So oh, absolutely. She's oh, got yeah. no reason to be afraid. She's yeah. got no, she's got no threat. She's already secure, you know, and it's, it's something that, you know, gets hinted at relatively early on because she's in a very nice house. She's dressed very well. She's yeah. got very expensive furniture and a very yeah. expensive car. And the only people that we've seen that are aliens are people who are well-to-do, well upper yeah. crust. Yeah, and it, and it's weird because, like, you're right. I think it's just, I mean, obviously, they wrote the, like, he wrote the script before he cast Ms. Foster. Mm -hmm. And I can't help but think that a better director would have adapted. Like, we, have the, op we have the opportunity to start throwing red herrings about who she might be. Yeah. But they don't do that because, again, it's a B-movie, and that's too bad. So... At this point, you know, it's been communicated to us many times that the more, the longer you wear the, uh, what do you call it, the glasses, the more of a headache it causes. You know, the interesting thing is that that's another thing they don't play up. Like, how come the cops don't spot these people right away? It's like, take off your sunglasses. Mm. And that would be a test. You know what I mean? Like, okay, he takes off the sunglasses and I can see he's in pain even though he's hiding it. You're one of the resistance. Like, again, that's that missing half hour that needs to make this go from a B movie to an A movie. But all that happens is every take, time he takes it off, he squeezes, he pinches the bridge of his nose. Yeah, we got it. You got a headache. So she has a pretty unique way of getting rid of her kidnapper. <laughs> she pushes him out a window. 
Yeah. Um, she's either very strong or she needs to speak to her contractor about getting better glass on her window. Um, apparently they really did do that stunt. They oh, yeah. threw, they threw that poor bastard down a hill in the Hollywood Hills. And he sort of goes rolling down the hill, uh, and sort of waits it out till dark. He, and you know, and that's sort of it. And we do see a bit where she's on the phone saying, I'm okay. No, I'm fine. No, he's gone. And we of course assume she's on the phone with the cops, right? Which of course she might very well be, but really she's on the phone with her, with the aliens, overlords. her <laughs> overlords. Yeah. And that may very well be the cops. Um, yeah, you know, sure. I'm, I'm thinking of a scene for, again from this. I, I got to find out the name of this movie. Um, it's this, this vampire movie uh, where, the, like I said, this guy is an Uber driver. Okay. Um, give me a second. It's a super good movie. Night Teeth. That sounds right. Yes, Night Teeth. Super good movie. Uh, people sneer at it, but I, I thoroughly enjoyed it. So there's a scene in Night Teeth where uh, th- th- this Uber driver. Well, really, he's not an Uber driver. His brother is. He's sort of taken over for him. He's taking, he's carting these two female vampires around, and they're you know sucking blood everywhere they go. And he approaches a cop, and it turns out the cop knows who these women are, and he is serving them. He's not like a a minion. He's not like Renfield, but he's one of these cops who is there to look out for them. Mm-hmm. And you know, you see that in this film too. The idea that these are that there are there are police out there who are not aliens, they're humans, but they have decided they're well, they're collaborators, right? Yep. They're this is Vichy France and these sorts of people. You know, there's always sort of two levels of collaborators, right? There's the the ones who get rich off this, and we meet that old guy with the Texas accent when they go underground, right? We meet him who gives them the tour and explains everything, which I thought was a super clever way to reveal the conspiracy <laughs> in an in organic way. It's like, oh, you two are new here. Well, let me show you around. I'm so proud of this. Right. But then there's the one, and of course, Holly, we will later learn, is maybe one of those. But then there's sort of the minions who aren't necessarily getting rich. They're the suckers, the yeah. useful idiots, the ones who are doing the biddings of the overlords, but they're not actually... They're like Renfield from the original book, Dracula. He keeps promising to make Renfield immortal, but he never gets around to doing it. Why? Because he he, he wants him to do work. If you do this, I'll make you immortal. Well, now you got to do that. And now you got to do this. So he's constantly stringing him along. And Renfield, you know, at the end is he there's nothing left of him. He's essentially a slave because he's committed too much to admit he got suckered. Right. And that's how I view the cops. And I think maybe that's what Holly is like. She's not like she's maybe she's starting to get in on the on the good stuff. She's starting to get the bed, the good pay and stuff like that. Like they they don't really define her character all that much other than to show her swanky apartment. You know, she doesn't she doesn't really show a lot of character is is the problem. Like we don't we don't have anything to infer from. She just kind of is there and we have to make inferences based on the fact that she's there. Yeah, and that, you know, like, we know she works in this television station, but I don't think she ever tells us what she does, other than she works there. I don't quite remember. In any case, Nada sort of waits for the end of the next workday, and he grabs Frank and pulls him into this, you know, into the, uh, into the alley where he's hidden the, uh, the glasses, and he says, put on the glasses. Now, in any normal movie, put on the glasses would be a 30-second dialogue argument, and maybe he pushes you and, and, and I push back sort of thing here. It is a 10 minute 
fight. Is it ten minutes? I was I was just going it's, back and checking that. I've got I got five and a half. Is it only five and a half? Are you sure? I got from fifty six twenty three to uh, a one hour and two minutes. So eight minutes. We'll say seven yeah. minutes. Whatever. Okay. It's yeah. you want know, that's all but one minute too long. Apparently they rehearsed this for a month and a half in John Carpenter's backyard, and they, believe it or not, this was part of the buzz of this movie. It includes this like the longest fight ever in a movie up to that point. Oh, oh god! And you know what it is? It's because they had a wrestler. This is for the WWF fans who came to see this because it's all wrestling moves, yeah. and it's re- and and apparently it's still got some sort of record for the longest running, Duke, you know, like put up your Duke's fight, and it's so stupid. Like these people take immense amount of pounding that no human could take and still be upright. The way they beat on each other, and it's not in a, it's not. I mean, at least. In a WWF ring, like never doubt these people are serious athletes. Absolutely. But the rings are not like it's not concrete. Yeah. You know, like no, they're they're bouncy. They're bouncy. You know, I, I actually have the had the privilege of knowing a young man who is part of the Hart family. Oh yeah. And but anyway, you know, he talks about he's you know Owen Hart and Bret Hart and all these guys. He was like a younger generation of that family. And we, you know, I learned a lot about, I guess I learned to appreciate wrestling more because I was such a snob. I sort of, sort of tip my nose up at it and look down on it. And I right. still think it's shit, but these guys are serious athletes. And oh, absolutely. what you see is not like what's fake is they know who's going to win. And it's a routine. It's a dance routine within reason. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's, it's like someone put it perfectly. This is, and, and this is sounds weird, but it's like, porn there's a schedule you'll do this then i'll do this then you'll do this and yes it's all fake because they planned it but yeah. you are in fact watching a you are in fact watching a sexual act this is the same sort of thing in a wrestling match you're watching them do all this shit they really are getting slammed down and shit like this Absolutely. but it but it's you know it's all choreographed and they know what they're doing and it's the same with this fight and that's the problem it's a boring fight i don't know if you liked it no it was it, there was nothing interesting about it Put on the glasses. No, knock down. Put on the glasses. No, knock down. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it, it just, and it's all for nothing because in the end he puts the glasses on. Yeah. Like I, I it, just, it, it doesn't accomplish anything. It's just spectacle, which is, which is fine. Spectacle yeah. is fine, but it's not spectacle that I particularly enjoyed. Oh, it's is spectacle it? for people who came to watch a WWF wrestler in a movie. Yeah. True. Yeah. But, uh, but then I watched some movie called Ip Man, which apparently is super popular in China. It's about a real dude. Oh yeah, um, with Donnie um, Yi, I think is his name. He yeah. played the he played the blind dude in Rogue One. Yeah, um, like he's a serious martial artist, and he played this guy named Ip Man, who apparently was like a real martial artist during the Second World War in China. And there are these standard kung fu action scenes, and they're ridiculous. I'm sure someone enjoys them. I don't because they're silly. And this is like that, but like lower brow. So it ends strangely enough with them getting the you know the, the glasses on Frank and he sees the black and white world and they wander up to one of these uh, hotels they do exist they are essentially hotels for homeless people. Yep. You have a few bucks you pay for the night. We've seen these we saw one of these before. Uh the Kurgan lived in one in New York City in Highlander. Right. These things really do exist where you pay by the day, it's dirt cheap, don't expect much. Um, you can, you know, you can do by the day or the week or the month and, and it's, you know, it, it is what it is, but 
how is it that I'm trying to remember how is it that they they find out that there's that resistance meeting? They bump into what's his face at Fran, the diner uh, the next yeah, day. Yeah, the guy. Right. Is it the diner or was it they're waiting the diner or something? No, no, you know what it is? They followed Frank, the black guy. They follow the the one of the organizers followed him to the lobby of the hotel. Ah, that's right. That's right. right. And they explain there's a resistance thing tonight and you know, the guy standing outside the door is like this Hell's Angels dude with a shotgun. They go inside. They learn there are now um, contact lenses. They put them on. And it's funny because they show the gut, like this table with all these guns. Everyone is sort of given a gun. It's just like whatever. they. It's just like this hodgepodge of like shotguns and handguns and there's the odd machine gun. But it's very clearly like just it's an honest to God resistance. You know what I mean? Like it's just whatever. Yeah, it's, it's whatever they can scrape and scrunch together. Yeah. And that's where they bump into Holly. Yeah, for and, whatever whatever reason, she also just happens to be at this resistance movement. Yeah. Well, of course, what we'll learn is she's a mole for the yeah. for the for the for the aliens. But yes. again, this is a character who is 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 criminally underdeveloped. Um, in some ways, I would have been more interesting to to watch her as the main character. To be perfectly honest, <laughs> you know, yeah. we have an assignment for you. We want, we need you to track this guy down. We think he can see. That actually, in in some ways, if they ever remake this, I want her to be the other main character. Yeah. Tracking so down John Nada. Yeah. And the police raid the place. There's a lot of shooting. They sort of escape. I'm not sure how it is they get a hold of one of these transportation watches, but they, they're being shot at in an alley, and they drop the watch or something, and it opens up a portal in the city street, and they jump down it, and they find themselves in a, well, it's not like a sewer. It's like an underground tunnel system. Yeah, it's, it's like the, the back rooms, if you're familiar with that concept. You're gonna have to explain that. I'm not sure what you mean. the the back The back rooms is this um, is this idea that behind that we're all sort of living in the Truman Show, and that behind okay, behind I see. Existence is like this infinite labyrinth of uh, of mazes and corridors and rooms and doors that doesn't have anything there, uh, except for monsters. Okay, I get it. I get it. Yeah, yeah, it's kind of that. Like at one point, they sort of wander down. They're just plain concrete halls. And then they walk into what is like this two-story ballroom with ultra-rich people serving, you know, you know, there's champagne being served. Everyone's in in expensive gowns and uh, tuxedos. And they're talking about, you know, we've expanded and we're doing really well. I swear to God, it sounds like a, like a shareholders meeting. Yep, absolutely it does. And they bump into this random, like this dude with a Texas accent and howdy boys and, you know, mm-hmm. glad to see you're one of us. And the only reason he thinks they're one of them is because they're wearing this watch. Yeah. Now, every time I watch this scene, I get the impression that he has encountered at least one of these guys before. Absolutely. And I'm wondering whether that's a scene that was removed. Yeah, it, it seems because I feel like there's a line there as well. Good to see you. Didn't know you'd made it back here with us or something like that. Yeah. And it, I, I was confused at the time, too. I thought that I had just forgotten when they bumped into rich texas oil man yeah um, but i'm I'm glad that i'm not alone <laughs> yeah that one has dr- driven me nuts for years and i can't help but wonder if there is a scene that just got totally written out they didn't mm. mention it in the uh in the director's commentary mostly because these guys hadn't seen each other in 12 years and they spent half the director's commentary just shooting the shit which don't oh. get me wrong is it's sometimes the most interesting type of director's commentary to hear um best director's commentary ever resident evil 
it's hilarious. <laughs> it's hilarious because they just spend the time making fun of the other actors. Um, right. But yeah, like there's a missing scene here. And but it does give you the impression one way or the other that the people of the lowest level of collaborators are allowed to become wealthy. Mm-hmm. They are allowed the benefits because he says, you know, you should get a change of clothes. You can afford it now or something like that. Yeah. And maybe the signifier of that is the watch. Maybe that's your rank. Like, again, they well, they aren't really specific about it. I, either that or just the fact that they're there. Like, you're you're not able to get to this wherever the hell they are without one of the watches to teleport you there. They're not being escorted by guards. They're not yeah. detained. They're just there. Like, oh. You you see somebody in a in a locked room and you assume that they're also supposed to be in this locked room. Fair enough. Yeah, though. they I mean, we do see a waiter. So we wonder, is he a low level, you know, collaborator? Is he a Renfield? You know, someone who's being strung along as a minion? Uh, it's hard to tell. So so Texas oil man, I assume he's an oil man because he just he has that he has that vibe, the Texas yeah, oil man, you know, very much so he gives them a tour. We sh- he he wanted he wanders to like cable 54. Um, I found that kind of interesting because in 1988, Cable 54 would have been some obscure channel that almost no one would have gotten. Like, why would you bother broadcasting on some shitty little station when everyone's watching the ABC nightly newscast? You know what I mean? Like, these days, there's six million channels and everyone gets them. In 1988, you had in the States, ABC, CBS, NBC, and PBS. That's it. Canadians had that, plus CTV, CBC, and what is now global. Right. So transmitting on some obscure high number cable channel would reach almost no one. Like you ever see the movie UHF? Yes. Which we should probably do at some point, the Weird yeah, Al story, should. you know, but that was the idea. UHF was like cable, but with rabbit ears. Right. It was the obscure station with three people who watch it. So again, that's, that's kind of a weird choice, but we learned that cable 54 is essentially a front for these aliens. Um, and that the two uh, the two newscasters are aliens, and there are guards there, and they are in these weird black and white camo outfits with M16s, and these guys do not have particularly good trigger discipline. I'll make note of it; drives me nuts. No, no one here holds their weapon in a way that is safe and or smart. Um, finger on the trigger, and when you watch uh, you know Roddy Piper shoot one of these things, he has the hand on the one hand on the trigger and the other over top of the barrel. Yeah, oh, like, I, I do love watching everybody shoot in this film because it's just from the hip spraying wildly in every direction. Possible. Literally spraying wildly. Like, it's even worse than Commando. Yeah. Um, it's it's 90, it, it's like, it's bad even for an 80s action film. It's pretty funny. <laughs> um, so this is when they pull out their guns, they kill the guards, Texas oil man disappears, and they go on a shooting rampage, which, by the way, is also in the story, this whole six-minute story or six-page yeah. story. He shoots the place up. They come across Holly. They're actually looking for her because I think I think to meet up with her, I think something like that, because it's clear, like at one point when they're shooting things up, they're going through a hallway and these two guys come running down the hall and they, they sort of put their hands up and they hug the wall and walk past Frank and and John. And because we can see that they can see they're humans, they're not aliens. He lets them go like at one point. John comes across a pregnant woman, a pregnant human, and he takes her by the hand and said, do you know who Holly is? Like, he doesn't want to hurt humans because I think at this point he doesn't realize that humans are collaborators, like the people who work here. And he does find Holly. So they run to the roof. 
Holly shoots Frank in the back of the head, but because John is so far ahead, he doesn't realize it. He gets to the roof, blows up the transmitter, which is what is allowing these aliens to hide in plain sight. And it, we learn, because we learn that, remember, remember there was that at the beginning, the first time we get to hit something's wrong, there's that, the, the TV transmission, the kooky guy who breaks it and says, we are being hidden. Like, we learn that it's a transmitter that's doing this. In the original story, it's literally just hypnosis. He just up, updated it. Uh, yeah, hypno you, you hypnosis. Yeah, hypnosis is a 1950s thing. So he blows up the transmitter and then Holly shoots him, which is very much how the story ends. The difference is, is that in the story, the way they kill off John Nada is he gets a phone call saying, hello, John, this is your controller, the chief of police. You're very old, John. Tomorrow at eight o'clock in the morning, you will die of a heart attack. Repeat that to me. And he does. And then he hangs up at the phone and says, no, I won't. And that's exactly what happens. He says he does not live long. John does not live long enough to see the victory in the war against the aliens because at eight o'clock in the morning, he died of a heart attack. The message being that even though he can see, he still is not immune to the control of the aliens. Right. And here it's the same sort of thing. Everyone can see the aliens now, but he doesn't get to survive. He doesn't survive long enough to lead the resistance because the resistance can't be beat or the, the aliens can't be beat because in the end, all he gets them. Okay. Because he doesn't understand how deep the rot, how deep the conspiracy goes. Partially because he's not paying attention, partially because this movie is half an hour too short. Yes. <laughs> and then it ends on a comical note, which is this woman riding this guy. And of course, we get our, you know, our 80s boobs. Of course. Looks down and it's this alien. She looks at him and goes, oh. And then we see his point of view and says, what's wrong, baby? And of course, <laughs> he's an alien. That's yeah. cute. But it is, we got to get some boobs in there, is really what yeah, that is. Um, so. This movie is such a B movie, it, it hurts. Yeah, this, this kind of like defines B movie. Yeah, but I understand why the movie is still popular. Unfortunately, I know why it's popular now. We talked about that earlier. Yeah. But it's still worth watching. Like, I have no trouble recommending this to someone, first off, who's political. Let's say, start there. But also who just likes 80s B movies. Yeah. Yeah, it's, you it's not a bad movie by any stretch of the imagination. Adam, the move closer to the microphone. Oh, shoot. Sorry. It's fine. Um, is it, you know, it, it kind of defines a, a B movie quite well. Like, yeah. is it something that I'm going to go back and watch a bunch of times? No. Yeah. No. <laughs> this will this will be something that I saw once, probably. Yeah. Uh, and, and that's okay. And it... it did a did the job of of keeping me entertained for an hour and a half. So, mm -hmm. yeah, and 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 I think it's you know it's like a lot of John Carpenter's movies. Like it doesn't have the staying power of Escape from New York, which is a pretty mediocre film anyway. But his greater films like The Fog, which we should do, it's so good. It's a horror film. I'll let you guess what it's about. Big Trouble in Little China, which is so good. Um, yeah. you know, uh, In the Mouth of Madness, which I think you and I should do. Like maybe in sometime in December. I don't care that it's not a '90s movie or not an '80s movie. It's just a good movie. It is a good uh, movie, and and it'd be fun to watch. But you know, this is not one of his greater movies. But it's the one people talk about. I think because of the political undertones. Absolutely. The funny thing is that he intended it not as a left wing screed. I don't think that's him. I no. think it's an anti. How would I put this? An anti neocon, anti Reaganomics movie. Yeah. That has been totally flipped by the people who buy into it now 
because now it's the right wing kooks who think this movie is speaking to them. Right. But maybe in some ways that makes it a better movie than we're giving it credit for that. So many different people can take it so many different ways, or maybe that's damning it that it's not clear about what it wants or what it is. I'm not sure which side to go on with that. Mm. Like, is it, is it brilliant because it could be interpreted in many ways or is it poor because it can be adopted by anyone? I'm not sure. I, I don't know. I don't have a good answer to that. Yeah. Uh, maybe it's just because it's a B movie and, be, and it leaves just so much to the, it leaves to the imagination because he didn't have the money or the time or the skill writing wise to, you know, to, to make something of it. Yeah. To be able to get it out in, in, in this hour and a half short little clip. And yeah, I think that you're right. If this were like a, a six or an eight part, like HBO series, um, they'd be able to go into, you know, the characters and really explain the world that they exist in a lot more, a lot more clearly. But again, yeah. if it got remade, I don't think that you'd be able to, um, stay away from the far right conspiracy theory aspect of it without changing the story pretty drastically. I think they would just have to be a lot more careful about what it, what it was and what it wasn't. Yeah. I think you'd have to have some secondary character who believes it is the right wing, right wing conspiracy stuff and is told, no, you idiot. That's not what's going on here. Like, I think they would have to be that. Speaking yeah. of right wing conspiracies, the news just broke that Alex Jones has been ordered to pay an additional four hundred and seventy three million dollars in punitive damages. <laughs> so, okay, yeah, Alex Jones. So, yeah. <laughs> I, I'm I'm amused by that in the middle of that's breaking news in the middle of us recording about <laughs> this awesome conspiracy movie. I'm totally leaving that in. Um, Do it. Yeah. So, um, but uh, yeah, it's, uh, you know, I, in the end, I can't, I can't damn this movie. I don't think it's brilliant, but I can't help but say I would recommend this film. What about you? Yeah. I, I don't think it's, it's worth damning. Um, would I recommend it to somebody who just wanted to watch some 80s uh, sci-fi horror movie? Sure, ab absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it, you know, it, it'd be an interesting movie, I think, for a poly sci course to do. Not because it's brilliant, but because it's out there. Yeah. And maybe specifically because it has been adopted by both ends of the political spectrum. Mm. Maybe that would make it worth it, not necessarily yeah. for its quality. That's the thing with B-movies, I think. It's more about the idea than the execution. That's fair. Though, I mean, if you think of the thing, the <laughs> execution, the execution's awesome. True. <laughs> you know? Big old, um, old flamethrower. Yeah, yeah. Let's, well, there are no flamethrowers in this one, but. Uh, no, no, not this time around. But anyway, so I'm going to go now. I have some sunglasses here I want to check out. Oh, okay. And cool. um, have fun with that. Obey, obey, obey. <laughs> and I will talk to you later. Goodbye. Yeah,